Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right. You ready? Let's go. From Fox 4 News in Kansas City. Are we rolling? Are we on? Hello? I'm Nick Vassos. <laughs> this is Signal Hill. Jason Kander's personal note to the public about his own denial of PTSD brought a lot of attention to invisible injuries to our servicemen and women coming home after fighting overseas for our freedoms that we enjoy today. In Jason Kander's letter, he said, quote, So after 11 years of trying to outrun depression and PTSD symptoms, I have finally concluded that it's faster than me that I have to stop running, turn around, and confront it, end quote. Our guest on Signal Hill knows what the symptoms of PTSD feel like. He knows the darkness. He knows the tools of how to cope with PTSD. Daniel Brazell served 10 years as a combat engineer in the United States Marine Corps, served in Operation Desert Shield and Operation Desert Storm as part of a minefield breach team. Daniel is a national certified instructor of mental health first aid and QPR, question, persuade, refer, also assist, certified, applied suicide intervention skills training. He is also a member of Kansas City's VA Mental Health Advisory Board and serves as a veteran ambassador for the Kansas City Area Development Council. After working for many veterans organizations after his service, Daniel formed his own veterans organization called Team Fidelis. As the executive director of Team Fidelis, Daniel and his teammates serve veterans in our area of Kansas City. And with that, we welcome Daniel Brazell to Signal Hill. How about that intro? <laughs> Thank you, Nick. That was great. That was awesome. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You know, as we uh, look back on Jason Kander's honest admission here, I'm wondering when he came out with that announcement, what went through your mind? Uh, you know, I mean, that was huge. I, you know, being the public servant that he is and having that kind of uh, um, sway with the public, I think was just amazing. You know, and Steve Kraske said it uh, in one of his articles the other day about, you know, he's no longer in public service, but probably has served the public more than he ever has by making that announcement. Oh, wow. That's uh, that is a good point, because a, a lot of people receive that message. I'm I'm wondering, as you heard that that message, that that letter, could you identify with some of the points that Jason Kander was 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 making to the public, right? Yeah, when I was uh, reading his letter, and I just kept, I was shaking my head during the, uh, you know, unconsciously shaking my head when I read his letter because every time he'd make a point or he'd say something, I'm like, yep, been there, done that, yep, yep, and so it really resonated with me, and I think you know it resonated with a lot of veterans. Yeah, and your experience, in post, you know, post war. Right, you know, and I think you know a lot of times with us, you know, as veterans, we don't, you know, we don't reach out for that help, and uh, because we're there's a stigma attached to it, you know, we don't want to feel weak. And I think, um, you know, Jason being able to stand up and do that with being as public as he is, uh, really allowed the rest of the veterans to say, you know what, okay, mm-hmm. I'm I'm struggling too. It's okay for me to reach out for help. 
in his letter, uh, he also talked about maybe not uh, not being honest with his own uh, feelings, uh, his own symptoms that he was having. And, and he said, you know, in his letter that the race for mayor and serving his hometown community in some way would fill that hole that he felt every day, uh, those symptoms of PTSD that he was feeling. And he says it just got worse. As you know, Daniel, that was remarkably honest from from Jason Kander uh, about not just to the public, but it, it was a letter about him being honest with himself as as well. And I'm just wondering what role honesty played uh, in your own healing process. Well, I think that, um, that it's huge. We have to be uh, honest with ourselves and what we're going through. I think a lot of times we find um, coping mechanisms that maybe aren't as healthy um, to to deal with what we're dealing with or you know, in, like in Jason's uh, case, he really kind of pushed and just kind of became a workaholic and would just move and move and move it. And it gives you that opportunity if you're always moving, you're always thinking, you're always doing something, you don't have to confront. And I think, you know, he said that when he said he had to stop running because he was really, that's what he was doing. By mm-hmm. doing everything that he was doing, he just kept going and going and going, hoping to outrun it. And that finally he had to turn around, be honest with himself and confront what was going on. And I think many veterans do that. I know I did that myself. Mm-hmm. Is there a moment or is it a, a pattern of behavior that you just come to your come to yourself and you just say, okay, I got to I got to change this. I got to go in a different direction. You know, I, I think it again it varies for every veteran. You know, for me, uh, there were a lot of things. Um, you know, I, w- I realized I wasn't at some point, and I'm not sure why. I realized I wasn't the person that I used to be, and um, I wasn't the father that I wanted to be, the husband that I wanted to be, and I realized, you know what, I got to get back to being. Daniel and being back that person because right now I'm just trying to you know run away just like Jason said just run away Mm -hmm. from it and and not deal with it let's talk about your military service Uh, why did you choose the Marines (laughs) well that's that's a funny story actually (laughs) so um, I was uh, I worked at the mall when I was younger in, in high school and I uh, wanted to date this girl <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I went saw her on my break and I told her I said hey you know if, if you don't if you don't go out with me I'm gonna go join the Marines and she's like whatever I'm not gonna date you so I ran down to the Marine Corps recruiting office and I grabbed a bunch of pamphlets uh, and I came back up to her and I was like on my next break I was like look I joined the Marines and, and I showed her all these pamphlets she's like oh my god and uh, so you know uh, funny I just took them home that day you know obviously I didn't I just went in the office grabbed them and left and I started reading them when I got home, and I was like, oh, I want to do this. And the next day, I walked down to the recruiter's office, walked in the door, and said, I'm joining the Marines. Wow. And that's and then how soon later were you off to, to boot camp? Uh, I ended up uh, – actually, I doubled my classes uh, and uh, so I could graduate early, and I went to boot camp in February uh, before my, kid, my friends even got out of, out of high school. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So I, I wonder if that girl ever got a chance to see you in your dress blues, your uniform. Did she ever get to see you in those? Yeah, so uh, she didn't date me, but when I came back from boot camp, she absolutely went out on a date with me. Because <laughs> <laughs> being a Marine is impressive, but a chiseled Marine in the dress blues is really impressive. Right. She, uh, you know, you, you show up in that uniform, and, and she just couldn't, couldn't say no. <laughs> Yeah, it gets a, it gets the attention of a lot of people, doesn't it? Absolutely, it's how I met my <laughs> wife, actually. 
No, that, that's is that right? <laughs> yes, it is. She saw you in your dress blues, and that's how you guys uh, got together, huh? Yeah. So uh, actually, here in Kansas City, so I was stationed here, and uh, I went out to uh, no, this is way back. Jamaica me crazy's off of one all. Oh, I remember that place. <laughs> Trouble. <laughs> so we we did what we call a code blue. So we went out in our uniforms and went to the clubs, and I was there, and um, she was there with some after work friends because she worked down the street, and uh, that was all she wrote. Oh my god. How long have you guys been married? Uh oh man, you're gonna get me killed. <laughs> I think it's twenty one years this year, I believe. Congratulations. Thanks. Congratulations, Daniel. Daniel Rosell from Team Fidelis is our guest. Let's uh let's move away from that here and let's let's talk about something that's very serious. All kidding aside here. Um there was a moment on your first deployment um as a Marine where you were uh, instructed to do something very serious. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, obviously we had been in, in the desert. We were forward of uh, everyone, uh, and we were – it was the night before um, – actually it was hours before we were going to um, start the minefield breach so that we can uh, get into Kuwait and, and, and push back uh, the Iraqis. And our company commander, Captain Lyle, stood up and he held up a K-bar, which is a Marine Corps knife, um, very intimidating-looking knife. And he held it up uh, with us all surrounding him. He said, this is the Marine Corps. And then he pointed to the very tip of that knife, and he said, this is you. He said, go write your last letters home. Did you expect that? Did you know that was coming? No, I, I, I didn't. You know, here I was, gosh, I, you know, just 18 years old. Um, didn't have any idea that that was, was going to be said. Didn't know what to do. I mean, I, you know, I walked away from that, you know, uh, obviously just kind of dumbstruck. Because then I began to write my last letters home and, you know, trying to comfort my mom in a letter and you tell her, you know, I'm doing what I wanted to do and it's okay, Um, you know, and knowing, you know, that if I die, you know, basically because I'm writing as if I'm dead at this point, uh, that, you know, I did what I wanted to do. I'm serving my country and this is, you know, okay. And then to my little brother, letting him know, um, you know, that he's the man of the house. And trying to convey all the wisdom, which, you know, an 18-year-old has or doesn't have at that point, uh, into my brother so that he could step up and be the man of the house at that point. That must have been incredibly difficult to write. And it must have, you must have had the full realization, if you hadn't already, about what you were about to embark on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I was right, you know... you, you really kind of face your own mortality at that point. And, um, you know, you have to, you know, at, at that young of an age, you know, you don't think that you're going to die. You don't think that, you know, you've got a whole life ahead of you. And so trying to confront that and, and understand that and w- was, was really hard because, you know, after that's over, it's game time and you have to do your job. And your job is also, uh, you know, leaning on your brothers, your your fellow Marines, and, and, and they're going to lean on you. And I mean, that's where you forge some of the most special and tight bonds that you have ever formed in your life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have, and it's it's funny, uh, we just went back this year uh, for a reunion and uh, at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, and uh, my wife, you know, she had heard some of the stories from me, but she heard so many more stories from them, and even things that I had forgotten um, and she's like, it's just weird because 
it's the stories that I hear that you told me. She goes, they're exactly the same. She's like, there's no, she goes, I just, it just floored her. And the bond we had, I mean, we were driving through and we stayed at a friend's house that I hadn't seen in 20 years, 20, 30 years. You, you know, well, I guess maybe not 30, but, um, and we just picked up like it was yesterday. And, you know, those are guys that I would die for in an instant. Um, you know, there's a saying, it says, um, freedom has a sweet taste. The protect it will never know. Because we, you know, we're there together. We're, you know, we have the understanding that we might die together, and we rely on each other more than we relied on anybody else in our lives. Another saying that many people have heard is, "All gave some, and some gave all." And we know that you've experienced that in your service as well. And uh, you remember those brothers that that didn't make it back with you, right? And you know, we uh, we honor them as you know as best we can. We honor their families. I mean, we still. Uh, which is, you know, great this year we actually were able to um, connect with some of our brother's uh, family members who uh, were, were lost to us and, uh, you know, a daughter um, that didn't know a lot about what her dad went through and a mother who had no connection and being able to connect with them. And they're our family now, and, you know, we love them and we would do anything to protect them as well. It's just one of those bonds. It's something you can't explain. You have to experience and experiences, uh, you, you have to absorb all those experiences, some of the most unimaginable things that people can think of. And, and somehow they, they creep in all of your senses, from your ears to your nose to your taste to your sight. All those things are absorbed. And, and, and when, you're, when you're doing your job, you, I'm, I'm guessing, and I don't know, you can tell me differently, but you, you may not notice that when it's all happening. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, one of the things with PTSD is you have these things that, um, you know, I don't like the word triggers, but you have these things that remind you or bring you back to that time. Uh, and it's, you know, for me, you know, uh, my sense of smell, when I smell certain things, it just takes me right back, um, you know. And for others, it's, you know, hearing something, you know, maybe it's hearing a gunshot or fireworks don't do well for them. Um, or, you know, they're seeing something on the side of the road and they, they, they kind of reminds them like, uh-oh you know, from that time, and it's it, it's seared into your brain, um, and you react to it uh, because you feel like you're back there. And I think that's where people, what people don't understand is with veterans is, you know, there's nothing wrong with us. We're not broke. It's just we see things differently where you might see trash on a side of a road with, you know, a wire hanging out because it was somebody's TV. We're thinking that's an IED. Um, so it's just based on our perception, and that's why we react differently. Or perhaps sitting in the way you would sit in a restaurant. Right. So, you know, a lot of veterans sit, don't like to have their back to the door, want to see what's going on, want to be assessing the situation. Um, there's a lot of different things that we don't like people who just walk up on us um, or walk behind us. Uh, even, it, you know, or we don't like, I mean, we, I'll be honest, uh, we don't go see movies when they come out. Um, I can't be in a, a crowded movie theater. So we wait a few weeks and then we go during the day. And then I don't feel that sense of, I don't, people around me that makes me mm-hmm. uncomfortable. What was it like for you when you came back uh, and you came back home? Um, you know, maybe you weren't able to at the time, but you certainly have now. But were you able to take a sense of maybe an inventory of your life when you when you came back from war and now you were back in, in, in civilian life? What was that like? You know, I don't think I really at that time, you know, it, it was for me, it, it took a while for me to kind of realize. I mean, I didn't even know I had PTSD until they told me I had PTSD. Um 
I just assumed that's what Marines do. You know, so walking the perimeter of my house at night and making sure everything's clear, you know, while I'm armed, um, you know, being hypervigilant. I'm, I'm just being a Marine. And they're like, no, that's not you just being a Marine. <laughs> you know, you have PTSD. And so for me in the beginning, um, it took a while. Now we, with us knowing so much more about PTSD, I think those veterans see that they're having those issues. Um, but finding a way to deal with them and finding a way to get through them is, is a whole nother challenge in itself, probably even harder than what we went through. You know, you received uh, hours and days and weeks and months of training before you were deployed out there to, to do your job in both of the uh, wars that you served in. I'm wondering what the Marines did for you when your time has come to an end. Did they train you for civilian life again? You know, <laughs> you know that's, one of the, that's one of the things that I, I, I really, um, for me, is, is tough because, you know, you figure you go to Marine Corps boot camps three months, you know, and then you go to, um, you know, your, your, your school or you go to a Marine combat training if you're not going to be a, a grunt. So, you know, there's another month. So there's four months before you start your school, which is anywhere from, you know, a couple months to a year. So now we spent two years training you to be a Marine, and then you go the next two years training you to be, to do your job. And so you were just wired in because it's train, train, train. And then it's time for you to get out, and you get about two weeks of transition classes, and you go home. So wait, I've been training to be a warrior for four years, and you give me two weeks to transition back to being a civilian, and, you know, it just doesn't work that way. We are hardwired at that point. I mean, boot camp is a rite of passage, and I think um, it changes you. And your experiences while you're in the military, if you deployed, uh, if you didn't deploy, those experiences change you and your perspective on the world. And so it's really hard to kind of um, come back and go, okay, now you're Daniel Civilian, who you were four years ago. It's just not going to happen. Right, because you've been you've – been relying on your on your brothers out there they've been relying on you 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 guys are family out there because i mean that's it's just you guys out there alone and 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 when that's gone and when the mission is not there in some ways as jason Cantor put it there there was a there's a hole there in some ways there is and it's and it's really hard for us too um because we have come from you come from a an a culture where mission accomplishment your brothers are there. We stay till the mission gets done, and then say I get a civilian job, um, and you know at the end of, at five o'clock they go home. It's okay. There's piles of work to be done, but you know what? They go home and they sleep well. Well, for for us, well, it stresses us out because like no, we've we've still got jobs to do. You know, we don't understand like we have a sense of urgency. We have that commitment, and we don't understand that sometimes in our civilian that it's a job. For us, it's not a job. And so that, that's a hard transition for us, and it makes it hard for us to understand why people can just walk away. Is there, do you have any, some ideas about how the military could do a better job of reintegrating uh, veterans back into civilian life? Well, I think, um, you know, it's really a, the military's job is kind of, you know, to do, you know, obviously to protect our country. And I think that what we as a, as a community, as a, as a, as a you know, country need to do is when they come back uh you know we get our two weeks but if i get my two weeks transition class in camp lejeune north carolina i come back to kansas city missouri most of that stuff centered around that area so really having maybe a transition class uh come when i come back when veterans get back to their home 
where they're going to stay and have another transition class and talk to them and kind of go through some of these things, make sure they're getting, you know, the VA help that they need, make sure they're, they're, they're getting connected to the community that they live in. Because I think really isolation starts to begin to happen there. Our battle buddies aren't there anymore. They're back at Camp Lejeune. They're back at Camp Pendleton or Fort Bragg or wherever you serve. Um, and so we don't have those battle buddies to rely on anymore. And I think that creates isolation. And isolation is dangerous for veterans. It's a killer. Absolutely is a killer. So how do you battle the isolation? Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard. And that's one of the things that, you know, Team Fidelis, our, my organization, does is get veterans back and engaged in the community. And not just the veteran, their family as well. Um, and get them, you know, whether it's, you know, going to a Royals game, whether it's, you know, going having dinner or have a coffee or anything like that, getting them out of that isolation and getting back engaged uh, because, you know, they have to be engaged. And otherwise, you know, they're sitting at home and getting in their own their own head, which is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. So um, did you did you experience some some isolation and, and some of those symptoms when, when you when you got back home and, uh, you know, checking the perimeter while armed at your house. I mean, all of these things led up to uh, some point when you thought to yourself, you know what, I need to ask for some help or I need to reach out. What, what was that moment and what was that like for you? You know, and I, I don't, you know, I think it was a, probably a culmination of moments. You know, I think back to uh, <laughs> my daughter, um, one of her friends, I guess there's a thing where they come and they spook your house and they it's not like a bad thing on halloween but they like put candy or something in, out in your front yard yeah well people know not to come to my house because i i react very badly to that if i don't know you're coming um and so they did that and so i came outside um armed because i'm like what's going and there's something sitting out of course i'm freaking out because there's a bag sitting on my you know my doorstep so i'm watching and um you know and i'm kind of just scanning the area and i'm like what's going on and my my daughter's like, Dad, Dad, relax. And we didn't find out till the next day that um, my daughter's friend and her parents were hiding on the side of the, my house saying, don't move, don't move, because they realized I had came out. And they were, like, terrified. And so, you know, it's, it was moments like that that just kind of uh, made me realize, oh, you know, I might need to get back into treatment. So was there a doctor at the VA that uh, you, you've talked to and – um, kind of helped you see some things that you may not have been seeing when you came back? Yeah, I, you know, I, I went through a few doctors, uh, and I think that's probably <laughs> normal <laughs> for veterans. I think, uh, you know, if you talk to them, they would say that. Uh, but I, I ended up getting with uh, Dr. Daryl Ritchie uh, from the Kansas City VA, and uh, he was just very, I probably the most even-killed individual I met and was really good and, uh, for me, and I think he really helped me kind of find my way. You know, and he told me, you know, he told me, he said, look, you're having a normal reaction to abnormal event. He's like, so there's nothing wrong with you. And, you know, and I think that's what veterans need to understand. We're not in, in the community need to understand. We're not broke. We're just having a normal reaction to abnormal oh, events. It must have taken so much weight off of your shoulders once you heard that from Dr. Ritchie and you felt it. And it's like, this is all normal. I must have, I mean, a lot of relief. Yeah. I, you know, I just kind of was like, you know, that big side that you know wow okay that wow you know that makes sense to me you know and, and it really resonated and i think that's where probably my healing began uh and was allowed me to move forward can you speak to someone who might be going through a similar struggle whether they be a veteran or a, you know an, an everyday person like me um 
and and they're and they're out there they're looking for help and they they go to a doctor and the and the doctor doesn't uh you know that they don't they didn't have a really good experience it it sounds like you went through a couple and maybe your experience about helping to get to a brighter area may help someone who's listening to this what what advice would you have for them if somebody's reaching out for the first time well and i think uh for veterans or you know ptsd isn't 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 unique to veterans it's you know ptsd is due to a traumatic event so that might be a car accident it might have been sexual trauma it could be anything uh so the thing is um what i would tell you is be an advocate for yourself if, if you and that doctor don't click um, go find another one. And, and there's nothing wrong in that. You know, it's just like, hey, we're just not clicking. Because if you're not, you're not going to value what they have to say to you, and you're not going to heal. You can go see that doctor for two years, but if you don't connect, it's not going to do you any good. So I think being an advocate for you, you know, and if you're on, you know, medications, I know a lot of uh, veterans, you know, get on medication, well, this isn't working for me. Well, tell your doctor and find something else. There's a plenty of uh, medications. There's plenty of therapies out there um, that you can use. Find the one that works for you because – you know, your your recovery is going to be different than mine, and mm-hmm. your experience is going to be different than mine. So find what works for you and use that. Once a Marine, always a Marine is one of the favorite sayings. Of Marines are a, to say the least, they are a proud bunch. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> and we will let you know. Yes, you will. <laughs> um, but when it comes to PTSD and when it comes to, to, to mental illness, mental illness, um, or mental mental health, I should say, um, in some ways, you know, we all have to surrender in, in, in a way in order to try to look at ourselves in the mirror and try to get, um, try to move forward. Wondering if that was difficult for you, being that you are once a Marine, always a Marine. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and I think that's where you see the struggles with veterans. Um, you know, we are the rock, you know, we are the ones that people lean on, uh, and we're strong. We're the heads of our families. We, you know, um, we'll, you know, everyone looks to us as, you know, if something goes down, don't worry. They're going to take care of it. Um, and I think that, you know, we have to understand that we, we need to be vulnerable too, uh, and we need to be okay with getting treatment. And it doesn't make you weak. It makes you stronger. I mean, um, you know, I actually talked to my team. I did a little Facebook Live and, and let them know that, you know, you know, I was going back into treatment because I needed to let them know that, that even as a leader, you know, uh, of an organization, you know, we, we, we all have struggles. We, we all do. I, I, don't, I would be honest. I, I don't think there's a person alive, uh, civilian or veteran, that doesn't have at one time or another a mental health issue. And it's not that that defines who you are, but, you know, you deal with it and, you know, you get treatment and you move on and you become a different, you know, you, you become the person that you're supposed to be. So I think that, um, for veterans, it's it's a little bit harder for us uh, to do that to be able to be vulnerable like that because we are, you know, seen as mm-hmm. the rock. No doubt about it. Uh, what are some of the coping techniques that you've learned along the way, uh, and to help other veterans and, and, and help yourself? Well, <laughs> you know, my big coping mechanism right now is playing golf with you. Uh, <laughs> but. Um, there are a lot of coping mechanisms out there. I mean, and you, again, it's it's one of those things. It's individual to you to find out what you need. Uh, there's a lot of therapies out there. Um, it's just making sure that your coping mechanisms are healthy ones. So, you know, uh, drinking obviously is not a healthy healthy coping mechanism. Using drugs is not a healthy coping mechanism. Uh, you know, and and we can tend to do that and lean towards those things uh, because it is an instant. You know, if I go have some drinks, guess what? I forget. 
and so it, it you know if i can just forget for a little bit um sometimes that's that's a, that you know that makes me okay but you know that's not a solution long term so really getting into some actual therapies and finding those coping mechanisms that are healthy for you is is entirely is extremely important what are some of the options available at the va uh, the VA has a lot, you know, um, they're a lot further along than they have been in the past with dealing with PTSD. I know here in Kansas City they actually have the Honor Annex where they there's a PTSD clinic where they have specific therapies like uh, eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Sorry, that's a long thing, but it's uh, a process with your eyes. I'm not sure how it works, but it's, it's a connection in your brain. Uh, they do that. Um, there's also... Cognitive processing therapy. Go ahead. I'm well, sorry. Was it, well, hold on. So, so it sounds like so. Are, are do they do they actually want you to recall the unpleasant memory, and then they want to give you some some uh, other visual stimulus that might yeah. change that connection? How yeah. does that work? Yeah, it's. It, I don't know how it works. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I don't have a PhD, but it, it's something where it's it's kind of rewiring those thought processes to something else okay. in your brain, and the way they do it. Um, and getting your eyes moved, it's, it's kind of, a, you know, I did it once, and I, I did it a couple times, and I was like, okay, this isn't for me. Okay. Uh, so I'd never finished uh, with that. But for some people, it's, it's, it's very effective. And, again, that's where you go finding your own, find what works for you. And then being an advocate for yourself. And then being an advocate for yourself. And for the me, that wasn't working, so moving on to other things. And so the next one that you mentioned was, what was the next one so you mentioned? So it's cognitive processing therapy. Okay. So it's kind of um, processing those those thoughts and getting those, that, um changing how that works, how those, those thoughts work in your brain. Uh, there's cognitive behavior therapy. therapy. Uh, there's prolonged exposure therapy, and that's that recalling of that, that event. And, you know, and I, I want you to understand, some, these aren't easy, and it's going to get tougher uh, before it gets um, better because you're recalling that trauma. These fall all under the umbrella of invisible injuries. And I think, you know, I don't, I think as... I don't think a lot of people knew about invisible injuries just maybe 10, 15 years ago to, to, you know, we're just beginning to talk about these types of things now. And invisible injuries can be just as tough as some physical injuries can be in, in a completely different way. Absolutely. And I think, you know, back in the day, you know, um, it was shell shock, you know, um, and they didn't really understand what PTSD was. Um, and I think that, um, you know, with the Vietnam War and, you know, a lot of the things that those, those guys went through um, had, a you know, kind of started the conversation. Um, and then, you know, we've, as we've gone on, we've kind of developed a little bit more than that. You know, one of the things that I talk to uh, people about is I said, you know, during World War II, you know, we were over there, we were fighting. Then those guys took a slow boat home. So they, they had, you know, a month where they were together and they were processing all these things together you know, as they came home, you know, when Vietnam hit, you were in country one day getting shot at the next day you're home. Well, there's no time to process any of that. And so it's no uh, doubt in my mind why that's become so severe. You know, if you're, you're fighting, you know, in shooting at people and people are shooting at you today, tomorrow, you're home with your family and your family's expecting you to be the same person. It's not going to happen. So I think that, I think that plays a, a big role in it. And that's that process. Processing the trauma is huge, and I think that's what we all have to go through. Wow. Um, any other latest in- innovations in uh, PTSD and, and trying to, to help veterans and, and those who, who may have it? You know, I think um, they're, they're always working on, you know, uh, different kind of therapies that are out there. You know, there's some oxygen stuff, in there, but none of that's really um, 
proven yet. So, you know, the ones I mentioned, the EMDR, the CPT, the CBT, the prolonged exposure therapy, exposure therapy, sorry, are all, you know, evidence-based treatments. Uh, and then obviously there's medications out there. Um, if that, that helps you kind of maybe stabilize you so you can get through some of that. Uh, there are a lot of medications out there available for, uh, for veterans as well. Uh, and then just standard talk therapy. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, just talking it out um, make, is, is, goes a long way. Let's talk about Team Fidelis. Uh, as the founder and executive director of Team Fidelis, uh, your outreach programs, you, uh, you talk to veterans every day. Uh, what's your message to veterans who may be struggling? Well, I, I definitely want to make it a message of hope uh, that there is help. You know, there's three things I always tell veterans. The first thing is find your squad. You know, uh, find those people around you that will support you, that will uplift you, that will give you that kick in the ass when you need a kick in the ass uh, and tell you to get get back on track. Um, but finding your squad because that's what we had before. Uh, those battle buddies, you know, those brothers that we had and sisters that we had who were there for us, we need to find that again because that's an integral part of who we are at this point. Um, so, you know, really doing finding your squad. And then, you know, um, being brave. Being brave to go get help when you need to get help. You know, understanding that, you know, you can be strong, but you need to be able to, when it's time, ask for help. And your brothers will be there. And then the final thing I, I tell them is um, to realize your mission. You know, for me, uh, realizing my mission was Team Fidelis. So whatever it is, realize, you know, we're very mission-oriented. You know, when you put the military together, I mean, we liberate countries. We save people. I mean, there's nothing that the U.S. military can't do. So being part of something that had s- such a profound effect on, you know, the world and, you know, you had a mission, you had something that was, you know, um, wor- worthwhile, find that again in your life and go after it and attack it. And there are three pillars within Team Fidelis, right? Yes. Our first pillar for Team Fidelis is awareness. So that's where we get out. Uh, we go to different events around the community. We let veterans know, you know, that we're losing 20 veterans a day to suicide. 14 of those uh, are not receiving VA services at the time of their death. And and that is um, where I think we can make the biggest impact. 14 of our veterans are not getting VA services at the time of their death. So those are the people we're hoping to connect uh, with out in the community um, and getting out there and letting them know that we're there and, which, and leading them to hope, which is our second pillar. There is hope. You know, you can get better. I'm living proof of that. I'm alive here today uh, talking to you. There's hope, and it does get better. You have to work for it, but it does get better. And then our final pillar is camaraderie, and that's, you know, that squad, finding that squad and and, uh, being together because there's nothing like um, being with others who have been there and done that. Um, You know, I can be at an event, and I can see one of my brothers, and I can say, hey, what's going on? And they're like, what? And I'm like, come on. And they're like, yeah, I'm okay and I'm like because I can see it because I've been there and I understand I, I see the look in their face and I'm like you know what don't worry about that you're here with, look at all the shirts that are around you you're safe you got your squad uh, and I think having that and being able to talk about that is huge that goes back to what you mentioned earlier isolation so that camaraderie pillar right there can really um, have an effect on someone who's isolating themselves absolutely you know getting out and, and you know being able to be human again you know i mean being able to just laugh and smile and joke and um that's huge it's 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 probably the biggest thing you can do um let's go back to the to the 14 um veterans who are not on va services when they come back 14 of those 20 who die by suicide every day are not on veteran services 
is it a matter of them coming back and then isolating themselves right from war, or is it a matter of them drifting drifting off? I mean, a combination of both. How, how do you find veterans who are among the those 14 of 20? Well, and I think that, you know, they're not walking into the legacy organizations anymore. You know, they're not walking into the VFWs and things like that anymore. Uh, and so I think they're out with their families. You know, they're a younger generation. Um, you know, they're going back to school. Um, you know, they're raising a family. They're, they went right back to work. Um, and I think being out in the community where community events are is where we'll find them. And I know it's been – actually, I know that that's the fact because uh, even if we don't find those veterans, we find the mom or we find the wife who says my husband or my son. And then we say, okay, well, let's connect with them. And they're struggling. And then we reach out to those – they give us the contact, and we reach out to those veterans and say, what's going on? And we start to make those connections and let them know we're there. And like, hey, we don't want anything. We just want you to come hang out and be, you know, have a good time and getting them connected. The veteran might say to themselves, what, you don't, you don't want anything from me? What, what's, what's this? That, that might be a little that strange to them, wouldn't it? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> They're like, well, what, you know, like, I don't want treatment. You know, I get a lot of, I don't want treatment. Like, we're not here to give you treatment. <laughs> I'm just here to be your battle buddy. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, but I think, um, you know, peer, peer support is huge, again, because of um, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to ha- rehash a conversation why you're feeling a certain way. We get why you're feeling the same way because we feel the same way. Wow. And I'm proud to say that I'm a board member of Team Fidelis, too. I have yes, been for, uh, for a while now. So uh, I've seen the work that uh, Team Fidelis does. Uh, you know, when I, uh, when I first started um, volunteering with Team Fidelis, um, I feel like I'm like a lot, a lot of people. You know, um, I've been around veterans and people who have PTSD and and I thought to myself how am I supposed to act around somebody who's got PTSD maybe I should just maybe I should just avoid them maybe I should talk quietly I had no idea how to act around somebody who says they who has PTSD so I'm asking you Daniel what how should people how, people who have PTSD how do you want people to interact with those who have PTSD, what's the best way? <laughs> well, I remember you come, when you first came on board. You were a hot mess. <laughs> you were like, "What do I do?" But I'm not a veteran, you know. Uh, and you know, we had a long conversation about, you know, Nick, um, you're a genuine person, and that's all veterans want. It's just be genuine with them. Just don't have an agenda. And I think, you know, you, you like a lot of people were like, "Well, what should I say? Should I thank thank you for your service? Should I do this or should I do that?" And I'm like, and I and I told you then, I'm like, and you know, you were pushed back on me a lot and you're like i'm like dude just be nick don't be anybody else just be nick and be the person you are because you're genuine and i think um if you're not genuine veterans sniff that out really quick Mm -hmm. Uh, so just be genuine with them and just tell them like if you have a question i mean obviously don't ask any dumb questions give us examples of dumb questions so you know the did you kill anybody or you know this that things like stupid things like that and and so when they say there's no dumb questions that is a dumb question i'm going to tell you (laughs) there are dumb questions um so don't ask anything like that but just Talk to them. Just say, hey, how, you know, where, where did you serve? Oh, really? Well, what did you do? Simple questions. I mean, like, you know, that goes a lot longer or a lot further, excuse me, than um, thank you for your service. Mm-hmm. If you saw, if you know that I'm a veteran and you just come say, oh, really, where did you serve? I would rather have that conversation when you, than you saying thank you for your service because it makes me uncomfortable because I didn't – it's not why I did it. And it's okay to ask what job you did? Oh, yeah. Say, so, what yeah. did you do, do in the military? I'll tell you. 
Mike, every time I'll tell you, yeah, 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 I did this. Oh, what is that? And then we start to have a conversation because thank you for your service really kind of ends the conversation. Thank you for your service. I say, now I'm uncomfortable. So I shake your hand. I'm like, okay. Cause I'm like, I don't know what to say. Cause I'm like, I don't want that. Uh, and, and then the conversation is over cause now I'm uncomfortable. But if you just say, Oh, you're in the military. Oh, really? Would you, what, where would you serve? Or what branch were you in? Now we have a conversation and that is much more impactful to a veteran. That right there is valuable. And of this taping right now, we're doing it in advance of veterans day and people no doubt are going to be, they're going to come across veterans. Um, and what you just said right there will help out those of us who may not know how to react or act around a veteran. Be yourself. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> be yourself. Have a conversation. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, and I think a lot of people don't want to, they don't, they don't want to offend a veteran. There's a, there's a, you know, I think a lot of people have a lot of respect for our veterans. And I'm curious about what you, what you see out there when, when people realize that you're a veteran. What are, what are people's reactions to you? Uh, you know, a lot of times I get to thank you for your service. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, and then I get a lot of, uh, you know, I'll get questions and stuff like that. And, and I think that's when it, it becomes more impactful. I think that's what will draw a veteran out of isolation. Uh, if you start to have a conversation with me, are you telling me about, well, my dad served. Oh, really? Okay, well, when? You know, and, and there, might, we, there might be a connection there. Um, and that's how we as a community help to start to heal those veterans because now we're bringing them back and we're reintegrating them into who we are. And they're not this um, person that's like, okay, they're over there. Let's just say thank you and let's get away. Mm-hmm. Um, no, bring them in there. Give them a big fat hug. You know, hug a vet. Do something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but ask first before you hug. Okay. <laughs> well, Daniel, as you know, there, there's a, a lot of veteran organizations uh, around Kansas City, around the country. Uh, and a lot of people who want to help veterans, uh, whether it's a service dog, a car, uh, perhaps uh, you know helping a veteran get on a horse in the wilderness or a, a tiny home. Uh, you graduated from uh, a program that specifically aligns with one of the three pillars of Team Fidelis, and we're talking about PGA Hope. Tell us a little bit about that and how it, it has helped uh, several veterans here. So uh, the PGA Hope program is actually uh, ran by um, the Midwest section of the PGA, um, and what it stands for is Helping Our Patriots Everywhere. And it's really to get veterans back out in uh, in the community. So they teach them. They, there's a, it's about an eight-week class, and they teach them how to play golf again. Even if they have, like, uh, you know, if they're missing a limb or something, they have equipment that will help them play golf. Uh, and, you know, and I actually attended it this year. Um, you know, Tom Watson actually came out and taught the first clinic, which was amazing. You know, I got to meet Tom Watson. Well, excuse me, I called him Mr. Watson, of course. Um, <laughs> he, sh- he signed my hat, and he was very open and uh, just, a, just a genuine guy. Mm-hmm. And so that resonated, and there was probably about 50 of us veterans there. And, um, you know, and then we started taking classes after that, and we, were, we just felt – um, so connected to each other. We all had, you know, of course, we all had our branches, Marines, Army, whatever. And we razzed each other, like not knowing each other from day one. And they, they would, you know, say, oh, Army, like, oh, here we go. And then the, it, the camaraderie just started right away. And um, that's why it became such a coping mechanism for me. And I started playing golf as much as I have because it really, I'm out, you know, with a couple of guys, you know. So my little fire team, we go play a foursome of golf. There's nobody around. We're hitting the balls. We're laughing. We're joking. And, you know, the balls are going left or right, you know, and we don't really care because it's about being together. Uh, and, you know, and 
doing something stupid. So when we hit a really bad shot, oh yeah, we, we, we give each other a razzing. But it's it's a it's a great program. It's free to veterans. Um, you know, we get and they feed you every time that you go out there. You get some kind of swag every time you're out there. I mean, it's like it's a party every time you go there. And so, you know, it was something that I look forward to every week. Like, I would not miss that for anything. So, who, What's the local course that uh, hosted you guys? So uh, Shoal Creek Golf Course uh, did, that for, uh, did that course for us is where we went out and played. And at the end, they actually gave us a free round of golf. Uh, and we played a little military cup during there. I did not win. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we had a, uh, had a great time at Shoal Creek. It's a beautiful course. I mean, it, and it's a beautiful course. I mean, yep. you can't. I mean, it was it was great being out there, and the guys out there, uh, Rhett Frigo, who is a PGA pro out there, uh, was really good with us veterans. You know, very very patient with us, even though when we're, we're cussing and because <laughs> we're shanking the ball <laughs> left to right. And then you know, Brett Plymo, who who's the general manager out there, it's a great course, and it's a Kansas City course, so it's it was it was great being out there. You guys are getting PGA tour or PGA professional instruction out there. Absolutely, yeah. So has I, it paid off for your game? It, it ha- well. I'll just, you know, I, I beat you, so. I <laughs> and I've been playing for over 20 years. <laughs> You're a quick learner, Daniel. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great event. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of veteran organizations out there that do a lot of great work in the Kansas City area, you know, and I, you know, we stay in our kind of our lane uh, for suicide prevention uh, and suicide awareness, um, but, you know, if there's somebody who needs a service dog and they connect with us, we're going to connect them to that organization. Mm-hmm. It's not really... I don't care who helps a veteran, long as somebody helps a veteran. And if there's somebody else that can do that, then hey, they're the professionals at it. We're gonna sh- go get them. We just want the veteran to feel better. Uh, one, one quick thing, back on the uh, PGA Hope, uh, they're gonna are they gonna do it next year? And if they do, will they? I, mean, I, can, I don't know. I could see this program becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's a national level program, and uh, I think next year they're gonna do. Um, you know, they start out slow and this year they kind of really took off and they have waiting lists now. So I think next year they were talking about doing a couple of these, um, programs, you know, eight week programs and doing some other stuff for veterans, you know, get, let them get out to play and taking care of that for them as well. All right. So if they, where, where could somebody find some information on that? Do you, do you know, maybe, maybe your website, maybe, uh, PGA tour.com, something right, like go that. Go to, uh, the Midwest section, PGA. Midwest, there you go. Yep. Uh, and Rick Schultz is the gentleman's name who runs that program for, uh, the Midwest section, and you can find them on Facebook or on the internet. So we talked about Veterans Day coming up, uh, you know, uh, a little bit here. Um, I'm wondering what Veterans Day means to you. Wow, I wasn't ready for that question. Um, <laughs> you know, I think people, I think people forget that it's, um, you know, it turns out to be like the honoring, but it's more like about free food. <laughs> but for me, um, you know, I think. You know, thinking about my brothers and my sisters, you know, uh, and, and, you know, for me, it's, I miss them. I, you know, they're all over the United States um, and actually around the world now. Um, and so I, I think about them and, I, and, you know, and I'm reminded of the great things, you know, you know, war, war, war is, is, is hell. But there were so many. Um, I think that's why PTSD is hard, because there's so many great memories that I have intertwined with the things that went bad. Um, you know, and it makes me just, it makes me miss them so much, mm-hmm. you know, and want to be with them. And so honoring them and then honoring those who came before me, who paved the way, um, and then letting those know who are g- going to serve that we won't forget and we'll never forget. What can we do, um, to 
support veterans in our community? Well, I definitely think, you know, just having those conversations, those genuine conversations and talking to them, uh, it will be a huge thing. And then, you know, finding out more about them, you know, who they are. They're more than just their service. Um, you know, a lot of veterans go on to do amazing things. So, um, you know, find out about the service, you know, honor that, and then find out about that person. I think that's important. And there's opportunities for you to get out there and interact with veterans. If you've always, uh, we're looking for an opportunity to do that. We have Veterans Day coming up. Teamfidelis.org uh, has lots of activities uh, on their website. And what are some of the opportunities coming up that somebody who, who may be interested in supporting uh, veterans, what, what can they do? How can they get involved? So uh, obviously on our Facebook page, we put all our events are out there. You know, coming up in the, in the next um, couple months, we're going to have, uh, we'll be doing a color guard at the cliffhanger um, 5K run. Uh, then comes, uh, we're going to have at the Westport Thanksgiving Day run. We'll be out there, um, again, trying to connect to veterans in different places. December 15th is Reese Across America at Leavenworth National Cemetery. So if you've never been to that, it's where we go and we honor those who, uh, or who are laid to rest there. And we place a wreath on their grave um, so, uh, and then honor their, say their name out loud so that they're never forgotten. And I think that, you know, um, if you want to help there, obviously you can go out and sponsor some wreaths. Uh, you can go to Team Fidel's page. It's there uh, to do that and come out and help lay wreaths. You know, I think it'll, it's an experience that you won't ever forget. I took my son out there. Uh, I was with you there last year. It was a, uh, it was a cold, blustery day, I remember. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember the – I do remember the weather. But I remember the moment, and I remember teaching my son um, about why we were here and, and, and who was here and what they went through and why we were able to enjoy the freedoms that we do today. It's a, it's a, a great way to teach your children um, about – you know, what the military has done, what they do for us every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, are you, is, is Team Fidelis, how's Team Fidelis funded? Uh, so we are 100% um, donation-driven, so and 100% volunteer-led, so no one in our organization gets a paycheck. So all any of the donations that we get go directly back to what we're doing uh, in the community. And what are some of the things that you spend money on? Uh, so we have a couple, a few programs, actually. Uh, so one is a... Um, Boots on Ground Homeless Veteran Outreach. So we go out uh, to homeless camps and walk them, and we provide uh, homeless veterans with, obviously we're trying to get them um, into uh, housing and, and get them the things that they need. But in the meantime, we provide them with hygiene kits. We provide them with socks, actual boots, uh, you know, beanie caps and stockings, things to keep them warm, little comfort items uh, while we're trying to get them into housing. Uh, we have a breathe program for uh, veterans. Uh, it's an opportunity for a veteran who might be struggling to take his family or her family out for a night and team fidels pays for it so you know we give them a night out the movie so we'll buy them dinner and you know take and buy them the movies and they'll get to just go out there and just a time to be with their family and not have any worries because we've taken care of it for them that's awesome and then we also have a overwatch program where um team fidels members who uh, veterans who are struggling um you know with you know maybe paying their utility bill or emergency car repair or um things like that we can assist them with that um, you know, we actually, uh, thankfully to, um, what's that called? One eight eight. What's that? Bob, Bob Hamilton. Oh, Bob there, Hamilton. There you go. Sorry. Um, heating AC and Reuter. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> they actually, um, you know, footed the bill for a veteran this summer. You remember how hot it was this oh, summer. Yeah. Um, 
putting his, early on early on putting his um, AC in for him was like about twenty five hundred dollars, and they covered the cost for that for one of our veterans. Oh, wow, thank you, Bob Hamilton. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, and so, uh, so if somebody would like to, if somebody would like to help out Team Fidelis, where, where can they go to do that? Uh, they can go to teamfidelis.org to our website, and we have a donate um, link on there. And I think on our Facebook page we have a donate link there as well. Um, so you know we we have a, do a lot of different events out in the community, do a lot of outreach because that's where we're finding those fourteen. So that's kind of what we're pushing uh, more than anything else is getting out there in front of other veterans to find those fourteen. Uh, and transportation, if you're driving around all over the place doing those events right there, you you might need something, right? Yeah. Well, last year we were we were lucky enough that we were able to. Uh, purchase a trailer uh to put all of our you know boots and you know clothing and all that stuff everything that we take to an event um you know and this year we're really working towards um our next year will be actually be the kind of the focal point will be we want to we'd like to get a van to to drive around you know big van uh for our outreach events to carry stuff to you know if we need to get a veteran somewhere we can get the veteran there um you know so that's what we're kind of trying to hopefully raise money for next year maybe have a golf tournament Love to have a golf tournament. Yes, absolutely. We have talked to Joe Loria. Yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, he's connected with uh, Joe's golf tournaments. So we'll get him. He can get, help get the message out. Absolutely. Uh, and maybe we can have a bunch of people play a little golf for a good cause for Team Fidelis. That would be fantastic. All right. That'd be great. Well, um, Daniel, uh, it's been great talking to you. And uh, I'm going I'm to say it. I want to I thank you for your service. <laughs> I appreciate See, that. I drive him, drive him crazy. It's I not the end of the conversation because you'll probably yell at me uh, <laughs> when we're done. I'm going to punch you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Uh, anything else? Anything that we didn't mention here in this uh, chat? This, this is a podcast here. What do you think of the podcast? This is great. I love this. You know, I mean, it's kind of a – these podcasts are kind of a, you know, diff- a different animal, certainly from, from television where you're doing everything and – you know, 20 and 30 second and minute, you know, increments. This is kind of long form, you know, you talk, you chat, you have know. Have a conversation. Have a conversation. How about that? There you go. Have a conversation. With my bestie. Can't yeah. beat that. That's right. Yeah, we're besties, that's for sure. Uh, all right, so thank you again, brother. Thank you. Yeah, I do appreciate it. That was good stuff. Daniel Brazell, Team Fidelis on Signal Hill. Go to fox4kc.com, click on the podcast tab to subscribe to Signal Hill. We are available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And be sure to check out our websites for new episodes. Thanks again to our guest, Daniel Brazil from Team Fidelis, the executive director and founder. Go hug a veteran. Veterans Day is coming up. I'm Nick Vassos. This is Signal Hill.